Church, what's up? Good morning. Um, I hope you were blessed by this last month of preaching as much as I was. It was a good time really for all of us to be refreshed. Um, and now as we get ready to head into the last uh, quarter of this year, um, I think there's a lot that's going to be thrown in our faces from a changing political cycle to the changing pandemic landscape, all of these changes and transitions that as we kind of sat and thought and prayed this past week, we felt like it would be good for us as a church to spend the next few weeks and just to talk about strength and courage and just how both of those are gifts that the Lord wants to give uh, to all of us in the midst of this changing landscape. And so for that, we're going to spend our time in the book of Joshua. Let me read uh, chapter one, verses one through five. We're going to be here for the next two weeks uh, at least. So I'm going to read and let's pray. Joshua chapter one says this, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses's assistant. Moses, my servant is dead. And now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan into the land I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Why don't you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the fact that you stay consistent across a changing landscape. Would you give us joy today? Would you remind us of what we have in you? Would you help us to remember that the goodness we experience here says more about your faithfulness than ours? Be with us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in the summer of 2009, uh, me and my wife were preparing to make our transition to move here to Atlanta. Now, at this time, um, I was 24 years old. Uh, we had been married for about a year and a half, and I had never lived out of my home country of Texas. So even the thought and prospect of moving to a brand new city uh, was just full of a whole lot of things, right? New scenes, new people, new jobs, new lives. And in the midst of this transition, I found it. Uh, I found myself being full of so much fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. Frankly, it was the most frightening transition at that point of my entire life to think about. However, uh, when I actually made the transition to Atlanta, it was the easiest transition I had ever made in my entire life, right? And you say, why? Well, because well, well, when we moved, we moved with 25 of our closest friends, right? And I mean like best men in each other's wedding close. So one of the unique blessings that I found was that uh, life for those first few months in a brand new city with brand new challenges and troubles uh, really felt exactly the same as my life did back in Texas, uh, the only thing that changed was the scenery. I was surrounded by the same people. We spent all day together. And I realized at that point, this right, that I really didn't need prosperity to have joy. 
Um, I didn't need prosperity for my mind and heart to be at ease. I needed predictability, right? I just needed to know what was next. And I think that's what makes transitions so hard for so many of us because transitions mean change and change brings fear because fear of the unknown, right? Fear of, uh, of the fear that change brings has these sticky fingers, right? That it, it really uh, shoplifts the circumstances that we've grown to know make life comfortable. Right. Uh, and it's not even like shop lifting transition is more like armed robbery, right? Because there's nothing sneaky about it. You know, everything you used to depend on is going to be gone. And you know, there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. And you feel like your joy and your freedom and the stress-free way that you live, um, are in danger. Right. So, uh, Maybe you don't have the current burden of relocating your life to a brand new city. Uh, but one thing that I do know about all of you is that your life in the course of these past few months have been filled with transitions. And they were unexpected and they've been hard and they may have been um, incredibly difficult for you. Well, here's something that I want to let you into. Uh, the next few months of your life, are going to be filled with transitions. And they're likely gonna be just as hard, just as frustrating. And we know transitions are scary because transitions take the things that make us comfortable and they make us believe that we'll never have those again, right? Uh, it kind of feels like uh, these past few months have kind of felt like uh, when you were a kid and you moved to a new school in the middle of a school year and you just feel like I'm leaving behind everything I know that made me me and now I'm being thrust into a place where I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, right? Individually, you're going to experience transition. Marriages in our church are, are, will start. Uh, friends that you know may have some that are going to end. Friendships will start and end. Right. Jobs will start and, and transitions take place there corporately. Right. As a church, as Christians. Right. Uh, everything you've come to know about how to depend and uh, on God and hear from God, the spiritual rhythms that have been baked into your life for however long you've been a Christian have been disrupted and shelved for the times being. And, and, and you feel the impact of that. Societally, one conservative scholar talked about this election uh, being one of the most pivotal since 1864. So you have people in the world saying this transition or no transition is something that everybody is uh, has their eyes on. And it feels like we're all collectively holding our breath right? Transitions take place and they're scary. Listen, listen, change is going to come. It is going to happen whether you like it or not. And this could be a sermon on the fact that God is go, that God will come through on that change, right? But at the end of the day, it would be a very short sermon because at the end of the day, we know that God's going to come through, right? At least up here, 
We know that God will come through on his promise. We know that God will be faithful. We know that at the end of it all, we're going to breathe a sigh of relief uh, when God does what he says that he will do. So I'm not so much concerned about the end as I am about the journey, because even though I know the people of God will breathe a sigh of relief at the end, what I also know is there's so many of us that are the people of God that are holding our breath in the midst of the journey, that the journey that God has us on, we find ourselves anxious, our hearts palpitating. We find ourselves robbed of joy because of the certainty of transition and the uncertainty of the future. But I want you to know, right? God does not want you to hold your breath the whole journey. God is bringing you on this journey and he wants you to be full of joy and life and vigor and excitement. And the way that we take a hold of that excitement is with this one word, hear this, courage. This excitement and joy, it is reserved for people that have courage to move forward when they have to leave the familiar behind. Now, knowing that we need courage is not the same thing as actually taking a hold of courage. So that's what this time will be about. How do we take a hold of courage in order to move forward when we're forced to leave the familiar behind. And I would say it starts off with this look. Our problem is not just that we love familiarity. Our problem is the location of our familiarity, where we look and expect familiarity to come from, I think is in the wrong place. And we overlook the only place that it is guaranteed to be, and that is why I think the book of Joshua is so important for those of us that find ourselves in the midst of these individual, collective, and societal transitions. Joshua 1 is God taking people that are drowning in discouragement and disappointment and uncertainty about what the future holds and lifting them up to take a huge breath of courage so they can move forward, right? And so I want you to know today is about information. It is not about application. This is not about you uh, doing the things that you need to do in order to get courage. T today's about calibration. It's just trying to make sure uh, that you see the world rightly. And, and so here we go. Joshua chapter one, uh, verse one, as we get in, I just want you to know, here's the main point of it all. In the story that God is writing, in human history, the story that God is writing, God's characters change, but God's character doesn't. That's it. In the story that God's writing, God's characters, the people that he uses, are interchangeable, but God's character and nature is un changeable. And if you grasp that, not just here, but here, you'll find yourself able to experience this life of never ending transition uh, with a never ending amount of courage. Look, let's let's start here in verse one and just look at how interchangeable folks are. This book starts off and says this after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant. Right. We're just going to stop there. Those first 
eight words, right? The first thing that I just want you to hear is the interchangeable nature of the characters in God's story. This past week, I bought um, an Ikea bookshelf and I was getting ready to put it up. And as I was trying to drill it into the wall, I mangled one of the screws that it came with, right? It was gone, dead, funeral, done, right? Uh, but do you know what? My work didn't stop, right? It didn't stop because the holes that they make in, in, in those joints are so standard that I literally walked into my house and grabbed any old screw and I got another screw and it fit. Look, this is what takes place at the beginning of Joshua, right? God shows that it's the same thing with the characters in God's story. God's work outlives God's workers. When one dies, God plugs in the next one. And the way that you see that is here. Moses, a man that has been responsible for the greatest emancipation in Israel's history that is only going to be eclipsed by Jesus setting the world free from sin and death and rising from the dead, right? So when it comes to emancipations, it's Jesus and then it's Moses. And do you know what he gets at the front end of this book? A sentence fragment, eight words. Moses's life is merely a transition after the death of Moses. And then when Moses is described, he's described in terms of the servant of the Lord. Moses is that screw in the wall. God's work predates and outlasts his greatest servants, right? Moses dying will not stop God's work from continuing any more than the New York Times going out of business would stop news from happening, right? We don't want to confuse the source that we get our news from, from the actual news. And this is what takes place, not just with Moses, but with all of God's people. God's work outlives his workers. Look, Moses ain't even a newspaper. Moses is a footnote in human history. His death hasn't stopped anything. God's work predates and outlasts it, right? The, uh, there, 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 there's a few points that we get from this. And one is this, look, um, God gives us leaders and they are a very good gift. And me being one, right? You ought to trust the leaders that God has provided for you, right? Uh, but you don't put your trust in them, you put your trust in God because they are transient. Leaders will pass away and leave. Every leader that you have, every person you admire has been leased to you. You don't own them. They will be gone. Mortality, they will die. Morality, they, they may do something to disqualify themselves from a position of admiration in your life or movement, right? God may take them and put them somewhere else. You're leasing every leader, you're leasing every relationship that you have, and it's okay. Look, this is not meant to minimize anybody's importance. It is meant to emphasize everybody's 
transience. At the end of the day, God is writing this grand story where he is the main character and we are going to be footnotes in the great story that God is writing. And I bring all that up just to say this, look, don't be disheartened by transition. Expect it. It's coming. God's people, all of us are on lease. And this is one of the keys to not letting the waves of uncertainty drown you in discouragement. You've got to understand that truth. Now, with that truth in mind, right, um, you've got to be able to hear this, distinguish the voice of God from the messengers of God, right? One of the things that I love about this text is it just starts off and it says this, look, after the death of Moses, do you know what takes place? God speaks. God still speaks. Moses, the person that was responsible for relaying God's voice to the people of God, so much so that when the people wanted to hear from God, they listened to Moses. He was taken from them and God is still speaking. Church, we've got to learn how to listen to God for ourselves. We have to realize that a transition has taken place, not just in the church, but in the world where the normal routines, the normal spiritual rhythms that we've had have been disrupted, but God's voice hasn't stopped speaking. God still wants to speak personally to you. And that's what I love about how this text goes. It moves on, right? Verse two, God is going to speak clearly. So in verse two, God's going to say this, Moses, my servant is dead. Thank you for stating the obvious, God, right? God is clear about your circumstances. God's also clear about the course of action that he would have them to take, right? Uh, God's going to say this, verse two, now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving to the Israelites. I have given you every place where the soul of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. So what God does is he's clear about the circumstances that they find themselves in. God knows that your challenge is better than you do. But God is also clear about the course of action that he would have them take. Joshua, I need you to prepare the people. And the way that he will prepare them is by reminding them of the faithfulness of God. But then what God will do, he's clear about what he's provided to them. God's going to be crystal clear about his commitment. So crystal clear that he's even going to throw geography in there. If you were to plot uh, verses three and four on a map, you would see that God's saying, look, from west to east, from north to south, this is all of what I've provided to you. God is so clear about his commitment to us that he can speak about the things that will take place in the future as if they've already transpired. God is clear in his commitment. And look, the reason why I want to bring up the crystal clarity of how God speaks is because uh, we have a misnomer when it comes to discovering the will of God. We think that the, uh, that the difficulty 
in discovering the will of God um, is discerning what God is actually saying, right? But I want you to know the will of God is not difficult to discover. The creator of words has no problem stringing them together to get you to understand what's in his mind. The problem with God's will isn't discovery, it's discouragement, right? It's feeling that God has called us to do something or to step into somewhere that's uncertain and we just don't know how we're going to be able to survive. So we look at the prospect of the future with fear and anxiety, but I want you to know this, people, the God's people are often God's means of removing the discouragement from us, right? We're so easily discouraged and it takes effort to encourage. And so what God is, what God will do is God will use people to give us the courage that we need to move forward. Now you may say, John, uh, I'm with you, but I'm not. Cause what you say really doesn't make sense. At first you, you said we're transient. So don't depend on us. We're just footnotes. But now you seem to say, uh, we're absolutely essential, uh, that, people are absolutely essential in providing courage. Which one is it? And I would say, look, look, it's both. And, and here's what I mean. In verse five, God will say this, look, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you. Hear this. Just as I was with Moses, I will not leave you or forsake you. So look, God is not just going to reaffirm his commitment to Joshua by saying, I'll be with you, but God's going to reaffirm his commitment to Joshua by providing a comparison. I'm going to be with you just as I was with Moses in the exact same way that I was with him. And so in that sense, comparison uh, is actually the fuel for courage healthy, godly comparison. And here's what, what, what I mean by that. We've heard the phrase comparison is the thief of joy. And I would say it can be right. Uh, it can be the thief of joy if it robs us of enjoying what we have right now. But comparison is meant to be the fuel of faith and hope because it births in us an anticipation of a greater future. It awakens in us a desire for more joy of what could be. And it's like this, uh, back when we could fly all the time, um, I had achieved uh, uh, platinum status with Delta. Uh, but I had friends that fly a whole lot more than I do, and they achieved diamond status. Now flying with somebody that has that type of status is different, right? With my platinum status, I'd get on the plane and it would be fine. Folks would be nice. But when you got diamond status, uh, what, what you see is, man, they give me my juice in a plastic cup, but they get theirs in crystal, right? Uh, they sit me back in coach and every so often I, I get an upgrade, but 
The diamonds that is, they always get an upgrade. They get to board the plane first. As they get ready to board the plane first, the stewardesses, the flight attendants, call them by their first name, rub their shoulders, laugh and joke, and you just see the way that they're treated. Now, the thing about Delta Sky Miles is this. Um, you can get a plane ticket for anybody, right? So I can use the miles that I accrued to get a plane ticket and put you on a plane, uh, that's transferable. But do you know what's not transferable? Status, right? So I can put you on a plane, but if I have the highest status, I can't make sure the folks on the plane treat you like they would treat me. And that's what's so big about what God says. God is saying, no, Joshua, listen, Moses didn't just have diamond status. Moses had me and I'm going to be with you in the same way that I was with him. So you know, the 40 years that you spent with him, you know, the confidence, the courage, you saw the favor that I had on him. God's like, I want you to see that. And I want you to know that you can expect the exact same thing for me because God's goodness is displayed, uh, 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 God's goodness is seen and really understood primarily in transition, right? It's that God doesn't change and he's just as good as people experience this changing landscape. The landscape of characters change from Moses to Joshua, to the judges, to David, to Solomon, to the prophets, to Jesus. And what you find is on and on and on, the characters change, but God stays the same. Hear this. The beauty of an unchanging God is we get to see his faithfulness across a changing landscape. And that's one of the, uh, privileges of being able to surround yourself around the people of God as you get to see the goodness of God on their lives and you get to know that God doesn't have favorites. But we see that primarily not as we compare the particular obstacles that God brings them through, right? God brought Moses through a Red Sea, but Joshua God brings across a river. Joshua could be mad and say, oh, I wish God would have brought me across a Red Sea like him, but that's to look at the wrong thing. We don't look at the obstacles and compare them. We look at the outcomes. Joshua is going to be able at the end of his life to say, God never left me like he never left Moses. And when we realize that the faithfulness of God is seen as God stays the same amongst a changing landscape, then we realize, look, transition isn't something to fear, but something to anticipate because we can predict the future because the one who holds the future, the one who determines the future is in some sense absolutely predictable. Since God's character is unchangeable, we realize that his promises are transferable.
right? So what we see is this. The reason there was that a need for a transition in leadership in the first place here uh, was because Moses, the servant of God, sinned. God promised him the outcome at the end. Moses knew and saw that God was faithful at the end, but on their journey in the wilderness, in the midst of transition, Moses got to a place where the fear and anxiety bubbled up so much that in this sinful fit of wrath, he showed that he didn't trust God as much as he was trying to get the rest of the people to trust God. He took matters into his own hands. And because of that one act of sin, Moses was prohibited from entering into that rest of God, that he would have to transition. Moses would have to find himself as somebody that pointed folks to the goodness of God and didn't get to experience it for himself. And what we'll find out is that through the rest of the story, all of the leaders of God are going to find themselves uh, in that same cycle, buried deep in the ground before they get to realize the promises of God. But here is the good news, that that cycle ends when God's perfect servant, Jesus, comes on the scene. You know, we know about his life. He lives this perfect life. And then Jesus dies. And while the rest of the story start off with after the death of so-and-so, things change with Jesus, right? After the death of Jesus, uh, nobody immediately picks up where he left off because uh, Jesus didn't die because of his sin. Jesus died because of our sin. He died to take the penalty that we had owed to God. And then after the death of Jesus, Jesus rose from the grave. And now he lives forever seated at the right hand of God, leading and directing his people. The apostle Paul is going to go so far as to say, church, hear this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of all of us that have owned up to our faults, owned up to our sin and, and said, God, I've done wrong. I feared the uncertainty more than I feared you. I've worshiped familiarity more than I have you. God, forgive me. I pray that you would accept me and treat me like your son. And do you know what God does? God gives us the same promise that he gives to Joshua. I'll never leave you or forsake you the same way that I was with my servant. I will be with you. And that is the good news that God's unchanging character is best displayed across a changing landscape. But those of us that have peaks and valleys of faithfulness and faithlessness, God says, I'll never be unfaithful 
to you because Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. God's promise not to leave us or forsake us. God's characters change. Expect transition. One day you will have to live in the world with the people you, without the people you admire the most. One day the people that admire you will have to live in this world without you. And so the best thing that we can do, the best thing that we can do with our lives right now, y'all, is to make sure the people that come up behind us learn to live in this world without us. And the way that they learn how to do that is by leaning on God. They've got to learn how to hear God's voice for themselves. Y'all, God has spoken, God is speaking, and God will continue to do so. Tomorrow may be uncertain to you and it may be filled with all types of transitions that you feel like you are unable to handle. And I want you to know this, you are unable to handle them. But God is able. He's done it in the past. And he's intent on showing that same faithfulness across a changing landscape. All you need to do is to be reminded of his faithfulness by looking backwards at what he's done and realize that his past faithfulness is the best indicator of what he'll continue to do in the future. Y'all listen, we are all transient workers. We're all on lease on this earth for a specific purpose that God has for us. He will be faithful. Do not waste your time in discouragement, looking for hope and familiarity in things that are bound to change. Instead, turn your eyes and attention to God. Surround yourself with people that do the same thing. The exercises of reading the scriptures and praying is about seeing God. We have resources, plenty of them, for you to be able to, to do that. I cannot tell you what the future holds, but like so many preachers have said in the past, I can tell you who holds the future. And he doesn't change. So your future is absolutely secure. The characters change, but God's character doesn't. His promises are sure and they are transferable to you. And they've been Amazon primed to your front doorstep through the gracious work of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you don't change um, and you haven't promised. You've, you haven't just promised to uh, make the end work out successfully, Lord, but you have joy reserved for us on this journey. If we have courage, Father, help us not to be discouraged by 
the polarizing political cycle. Father, help us not to be discouraged by so many things in our life that we seem like won't change. Help us to look up and above and be reminded that you're with us. Help us to look around and to see the faithfulness on the lives of your people and help us to be reminded that you don't have any favorite children. We ask that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.